Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning and welcome, gang, to New Southern Garden right here on your hometown radio, WRWH 93.9 FM. As always, I am very glad that you decided to spend this next hour with us. Saturdays are wonderful days to get outside, get in the landscape, work on your maybe vegetable garden, do some light pruning, some fertilizing. There's all kinds of things that we need to be doing right now. Now, one of the things we need to be doing pretty much constantly all year long, but definitely as things are warming up, they surely are, and as more moisture is being given to us from the heavens, thank goodness, or thank God, we need to be scouting. And I'm not talking about boy scouting or girl scouting talking about scouting for insect problems, disease problems in your landscape. The first step, as we've talked about many times, the first step to eliminating or controlling problems in your landscape is to look for problems or look for potential problems. If you don't know that a problem exists, it's only going to get worse. If you haven't discovered that there are bugs crawling around on your squash plants, they'll keep crawling. And we're going to talk about that today. Or if you're not looking closely at your tomato plants, and you're overlooking little tiny black spots, those black spots aren't going to go away. They're only going to get worse. And we're going to talk about spots on tomatoes, too, on today's program. So we've got a big show for you. We're going to mainly focus today on the vegetable garden. And I'm going to try to get through a few different popular types of vegetables that you may be growing, giving you some ideas and solutions for keeping them happy, healthy, and getting ready to bring in the harvest because already already on my um, in my vegetable garden I'm already starting to see peppers developing tomatoes we got bunches of green tomatoes nothing ripe nothing ripe but we are seeing all kinds of things Coming on into fruiting, because that's what they are. I know. There's a big debate. Is a tomato a fruit or a vegetable? I say it just depends on where you're standing. If you're standing in the garden, well, that tomato is a fruit. But if you're standing in the vegetable aisle, or rather the produce section of your local market or grocery store, it would be considered a vegetable. But regardless, those products, those tomatoes, they come from a fruit. They come from an ovary. Or rather, they come from a flower, they come from an ovary, and so we do call them fruits. 
So we've got all kinds of things coming on. Now, I've given you my sad stories about what's been going on in the vegetable garden as far as I sowed beans and corn and they weren't coming up. It was like three or four weeks without any rain afterwards. So I'm starting to see, I shared with you last week, starting to see beans coming up, starting to see corn plants. So things are a little behind at my place, but we still got plenty of time. We've got plenty of summer for these things to grow and produce the crops that we want to eat. I did plant the squash plants kind of late, squash seeds, I should say. I always start those from seed. They got in the ground late, but they're popping up. We're getting a full set of leaves and some of the watermelons and other melons, they are really starting to develop. Those got planted before the squash. And so we're starting to see some actual vineage. Something like that. Some vineage. We're seeing those uh, watermelons and, and other melons starting to produce vines. It's wonderful. So all kind of cool activity is going on in my vegetable garden, and I'm sure there's plenty of things going on in yours. So if you'd like to share some of your stories, since we're talking about vegetables today, if you're growing vegetables and want to share some cool success stories, or if you think you have some potential problems, feel free to share those with us online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Just go to the contact us page and send us a message, or if you've got a picture to share or video to share, if you'd love to give us a garden tour of your landscape or anywhere vegetable garden landscape perennial borders daylilies whatever's blooming right now if you want to share that with us on facebook and instagram feel free to check out our page new southern garden on facebook and instagram and you can leave us questions because at the end of this month we will be going to the mailbag and answering your questions but today like i said i would like to talk about Growing vegetables, maybe this time of year, what are some things we need to be concerned with? Maybe give you some ideas and tips, perhaps some inspiration for doing something different or new in your uh, vegetable garden. So let's start off with, (laughs) I guess, America's number one vegetable, at least in the South. In the South, the most, and I know this from experience being in the nursery, of course, I work at uh, Operate Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. And we sell a lot of tomato plants. We sell a lot of tomato plants in comparison to peppers or squash, uh, zucchini, any other plant you might think of buying as far as the vegetable goes. Tomato plants are by far the number one bestseller. I guess they're on New York's time, New York Times bestseller list of vegetables because... We just love them. We love tomatoes. Maybe it has something to do with that classic tomato sandwich. White bread, smothered in mayonnaise, salt and pepper, throw a slab of tomato on there. Nothing says summer like a tomato sandwich. But however you use them, whether you make them out of, make them for sauces and uh, marinara sauce, spaghetti sauce, whatever you do with tomatoes, getting to the point of harvesting them can be challenging. And there's a few things that we want to think about when it comes to growing tomatoes. Number one, there are two main groups of tomatoes, and each group sort of has to be treated differently to some degree. The two main groups of tomatoes, other than the style of tomato, like is it a cherry tomato, is it a slicing tomato, is it a a pasty tomato like Roma's, or is it a beefsteak tomato, We're not talking about that. We're talking about the way that the plant produces the tomato, 
whichever kind of tomato it is. Number one, we have determinate and indeterminate tomatoes. Now, determinate tomatoes produce all of their flowers and all of their fruits pretty much at the same time. So it's a lot like a blueberry plant. Blueberry plants are definitely determinate plants because they bloom at once and then you harvest them at once over a short period of time. Now, on the other hand, the other kinds of tomatoes that you can grow are the indeterminate kinds. So determinate and then indeterminate. Now, indeterminate is the opposite of determinate. A lot of determined here. Indeterminate is where the tomato plant will produce some flowers now, some flowers later, and some flowers until the plant is completely uh, frosted over in October or whenever the first uh, frost comes. So indeterminates continue to bloom, continue to fruit throughout summer. Now with that being said, the determinate styles, the determinate tomatoes, those are the ones that produce all at once. They tend to stay shorter They tended to stay shorter because when they've produced all their fruit, the plant is done for the year. But see, the indeterminate kinds, they can get very tall, very long. And they do that because all this new growth comes out with new buds, new buds, new flowers, new fruits. And that, like I said, lasts until the frost. So if you are growing determinate tomatoes, you can expect a maybe stockier, shorter plant, but if you're growing indeterminate tomatoes, you would expect that plant to get tall, maybe a little more vine-like, maybe lanky, if you will, and knowing that, knowing if you're growing a determinate kind or an indeterminate kind is going to tell you, or at least guide you to how you should train these tomatoes. So let's talk about a determinate tomato. A determinate tomato, one that is going to produce all of its flowers and all of its fruit about the same time, so you can harvest them all at once, is going to be the Rutgers tomato. That's a very old-fashioned tomato, just, just for one as an example. The Rutgers tomato is sort of a medium-sized tomato. It's not a cherry, but it's definitely not a park swapper, huge two-pound tomato. Maybe eight ounces, possibly six to eight ounces. Well, the Rutgers kind of tomatoes, these determinate tomatoes, are helpful for people who are going to be canning. Because when you're canning tomatoes, or maybe you're making salsa to can, maybe you're making tomato sauce to can, whatever. Whatever you're doing with a tomato, they're going to come in at one time, and that's why canners really like determinates, because you can harvest them all about the same week, maybe week and a half, and you can cook with them, get them in the cans, store them for the winter. But the indeterminate kinds, of course, they're going to keep going, and you can use those throughout the summer for fresh eating. So I think having a mix is very important if you're going to can and expect to use some fresh all the way through till frost. So these determinate ones, the Rutgers, they may only get a few feet tall. They may stay a bit stockier. Now, they probably will need some kind of support, but they're not nearly going to need the kind of support that the indeterminates need, which may climb six, eight, nine feet. I have seen some very large tomatoes that look like small trees. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And those tomatoes, those indeterminate tomatoes, they will need some proper staking so you keep the fruits off the ground so they don't uh, stay on wet soil and start rotting and get spots. You want them to look beautiful, right? So, of course, there are many ways that you can stake or support a tomato. Now, the probably most easiest thing to do is to go to your local garden center or hardware store and purchase some tomato cages. You know, tomato cages, got to have the tomato cages. Usually they're a very strong wire frame, sort of with multiple hoops uh, up the center of three or four uh, strong stakes. And you can lay that, or rather work that over the top of your tomato plants, and the tomato will be supported by this wire frame. It's wonderful. But some of those aren't tall enough. Because <laughs> again, some of those indeterminates can climb eight foot tall. And the trouble, of course, is that once it reaches the top of that short, maybe four or five foot tomato cage frame, it may start spilling over the edge. And then you've got a break happening on the stem when it gets so heavy that it just breaks and cracks over the edge of that uh, wire frame. So, you know, using maybe a support up against the plant itself, like a strong bamboo cane, or maybe go into the woods and remove a young sapling that is quite strong and straight, and tying that around your tomato will give it some support to climb vertically and stay within the bounds of a cage. But, you know, I used to use cages all the time, tomato cages, I used them all the time, and it just kind of got costly. And then, I mean, they last for a while. They last several seasons, but sometimes they get bent out of shape. Sometimes the uh, welding on the wire starts breaking apart. And I'm not a welder, so I don't ever try to repair them. But uh, now in today's world, these cages, I've priced some the other day. They get inexpensive. They get in pricey. So I would like to introduce to you another way to support your tomatoes, particularly those indeterminate tomatoes, now it works for all tomatoes, but those indeterminate tomatoes are really going to need some kind of support as they climb feet and feet and feet into the air. And the way that they grow, actually this uh, style of support gets its name from our sister state to the south, Florida, because of course Florida is a great place to grow tomatoes. And, you know, Georgia tomatoes taste wonderful. Absolutely. Florida, they taste good. I would say Georgia's always the best. <laughs> but Florida has this tomato growing down pat. And they have a unique system, and it's very simple. All you need are some strong uh, poles, whether they're wooden or metal, and some string. So when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about how to support your tomatoes with a style of support called the Florida Weave. The Florida Weave. When we get back. Now I'm lost in the Delta. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. 
Will gang, I don't know if your tomatoes are already growing so fast that they're starting to flop over, spill out of those little tomato cages. Maybe you haven't even thought. Maybe you haven't even thought yet about trying to stake them up or prevent them from falling over. But you'll quickly find that tomatoes, they grow fast and they get heavy. So they're more like a crawling vine upon the ground when they're not supported vertically in the air. Well, before the break, we were talking about the two different, the two main different groups of tomatoes. They fall into either a determinate group or an indeterminate group. The determinate groups, they produce all at once, so the plant tends to stay smaller, shrubbier maybe, probably will still need some vertical support, uh, but then the indeterminates will definitely need support because they continue to grow all summer, continue to flower, and continue to fruit and producing those red jewels of the summer that every southern gardener loves. So I was alluding to a style of tomato support that is known as the Florida weave. And the Florida weave gets its name because I I suppose it was uh, stylized in Florida where they grow ample amounts of tomatoes, rows and rows, fields and fields of tomatoes. And of course, many of those tomatoes make their way up to our markets. Even though Georgia does a great job with producing many vegetables, uh, Florida tomatoes are okay too. (laughs) Let's give them that. So the Florida weave is pretty simple, but It is revolutionary in my garden because all you need is for every, say, three or four tomato plants that are spaced maybe three feet, four feet apart, you need to insert a strong pole into the ground. So at the the first plant, put a uh, strong pole into the ground, make sure it cannot move and be budged, and then count three or four plants down and insert another strong pole that is preferably maybe up to eight foot tall because some of these indeterminate tomatoes, if you're lucky, if your soil is very healthy and if you're feeding it well, they will probably reach the tip of that. So you got to have uh, maybe a foot and a half to two feet under the ground and then again uh, at least six to eight feet above the ground. So you've got these vertical poles on on the ends of your tomato plants and then you start using twine about a foot up on the pole the first pole tie off a piece of twine and then you're going to go around one plant weaving in between the next back around the next one and then just make this nice weave tie it off there and then run another weave so you're getting a cross pattern sort of a bunch of figure eights around your tomato plants So it literally is a weave where you go in and out of one plant, uh, one row of plant, then back in and out in the opposite direction. So as you get back to your first pole by weaving through your tomatoes, you tie it off pretty tight. I mean, you don't want to keep the uh, twine or the wire so tight that it's going to pierce the stem or uh, put a lot of pressure on the stem. But you do want to make sure you tie it tight enough that you'll see that weave action pulls the plant stem up straight and it's nice and tight uh, against those woven wires or twine that you've used. So then in about a week or so, maybe 10 days, you come back and if the plants have already gone up about a foot or 18 inches above that wire, you start weaving again. 
weave through the plants, tying off at the uh, first pole, wrap around the second pole, weave back through uh, to the uh, th- through the tomatoes to the first pole, tie it off there, and you've got a second section of woven tomatoes. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Now that eliminates having to buy very expensive wire. You know, a lot of folks make large tomato cages out of hog wire, or some kind of um, uh, fencing that you would use on a farm, make big hoops of that, but that gets kind of pricey. But a couple of strong poles, maybe eight to 10 feet tall, plus a fairly cheap roll of jute twine, if you want to use that, maybe some nylon string, whatever you got on hand in the pantry or in the junk drawer. We got all kind of junk in our drawer at our junk drawer in our house. But uh, you'll probably find some of these things already handy. Now, if you have some uh, some poles that are metal, that's fine. Uh, some poles like two-by-two two treated lumber would be okay. Uh, if it's treated lumber, it'll last much longer. If it's not treated, it may last you a season. You may even find some young saplings like we talked about earlier. You can go use some young saplings that are straight and strong, bury them. Now, they definitely won't last uh, but one season, if that. But at least it will help you get your plants up and out of the way. So every time your tomato grows another 12 or 18 inches, go ahead and weave another line across those two poles and continue that process as your tomatoes grow. So unlike a tomato cage, it's already formed, it's ready to go, the tomato fills it, Uh, sometimes it fills it too well and starts spilling out at the top, but this tomato uh, weaving pattern, the Florida weave I should say, is a process that you're going to have to keep up until those tomatoes pretty much reach the top of your stakes. And then in my opinion, it's up to them to do any (laughs) more. So uh, Florida weave is a good way Uh, fairly cheap, fairly easy, and uh, really doesn't uh, take much time. All you're doing is tying a string around a pole, weaving it through the plants, wrapping it around a second pole, weaving it back through uh, that row of plants, and then tying it off on that first pole. And you're ready to have tomatoes hanging from that Florida woven tomato trellis, if you will. And you'll be able to have sandwiches all summer long. Now, tomatoes also have a problem with certain diseases. There are some diseases that are essentially a death sentence, and there are some that can be prevented, and some uh, that won't kill the plant, but may look, make certain areas of the plant look kind of shabby, and eventually will kill the plant if left untreated. But there are some ways to uh, treat some of these diseases. However, some, there's really no treatment. So let's start off with the wilts. There's fusarium wilt, for example, and verticillium wilt, which are essentially vascular system issues. Now, just like humans, plants have veins, sort of, veins and arteries. We call them xylem and phloem, which just means that uh, some of those veins or arteries, if you will, xylem and phloem, they send water from the root to the rest of the plant, and the, uh, the other veins or arteries will send sugar, carbohydrates, from the leaves down to the rest of the plant. And there are some bacteria in particular, some fungus, that can get into those veins and arteries. And so essentially, that disease is working its way from either the root of the plant or the leaf of the plant down into the veins. It's sort of like we would say in humans, it's a septic 
septic. Is that right? Like if a disease has gone septic, it, it's in your blood. It's in your veins. And that's not good. So in order to not have an issue with those wilts, you sort of have to start off by buying plants that are resistant to verticillium or fusarium wilt. And you'll see that usually it's indicated somewhere on the packaging of the seed or on the plant tag that you buy in the plant nursery. Uh, You'll see a little tag there that tells you what the type of tomato it is. And it'll have a letter V, a letter F for verticillium or fusarium and then nematodes. That will usually be there too with an N, letter N. And there's a number of other things that can be uh, put onto those tags to tell you that the plant is resistant to a certain type of disease or other pathogen. But then there are the blights, right? There's early blight, there's late blight, and these are generally going to be pathogens that splash up onto the leaves from the soil. So in other words, you get a heavy rain after you've planted your beautiful, your brand new tomato plant, which hopefully you've already done that because it's getting kind of late, (laughs) but still you can continue to plant for several weeks and still make a harvest. But then a few days later, it rains. Yay, that's great. We need rain. But that rain also beat the soil, splashed particles of soil up into the air, and then those particles of soil landed on the leaf. And then what happened? Well, the disease started to set in. So now you've got a chance of getting some of these diseases. Well, when we get back from this quick break, as far as it goes with tomatoes, I'm going to tell you how to prevent early blight, late blight, some of these foliar diseases uh, with just a few methods of control, things that you should really probably already be doing, and maybe some things you've never thought of. So hang on tight, and we will prevent diseases on your tomatoes when we get back. For the world to behold. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. You know, gang, there's not really that many times where rain is not a good thing. Usually rain is a very good thing. But when it comes to rain splashing soil, throwing those particles of soil up into the air, and then these particles of soil landing on your plant's leaves, that is never really a good thing. So today we've been talking about uh, tomatoes right now. We're going to talk about squash in a little bit, but we're talking about things you need to be aware of. We talked about how to uh, stake tomatoes and some other maybe new inventive ways of staking them. But now we're talking about controlling diseases, maybe preventing diseases on tomato plants in particular. Now this can work for most any of your garden plants. But tomatoes do suffer from that early blight. Later on, they'll have the late blight. And all of these can be caused by soil splashing onto your tomato leaves. So there's a couple of things we want to do, which are pretty simple, relatively cheap as well. A couple of things we want to do to help the plant not suffer from 
soil-infested pathogenic diseases or whatever. The very first thing we can do is mulch around our plants. Mulch around your tomato plants. While you're at it, mulch around your squash, mulch around your beans. If you have a small garden, you know, you can't really maybe mulch very large spaces, but mulching around your plants is going to be a great thing as far as water splashing soil from the ground splashing up onto your leaves. It'll help prevent that. If you can't mulch, or really even if you do mulch, it's not a bad idea either to remove, as the plant is growing, to remove some of the low-hanging limbs. All right, you're not gonna hurt the plant if you take a sharp, clean pair of pruning shears, a sharp blade that's clean. Make sure it's clean. We don't wanna be using dirty, potentially uh, infested pruning shears because that will spread disease. But you take those shears and you remove the branch of your tomato just like you would a branch on a shrub, on a rose bush. Now, the problem with those low-hanging tomato branches and leaves is that they usually drag on the soil. And so some, in my experience, some leaves on your tomato will permanently be embedded touching the soil. If we simply remove those and then remove anything that's hanging down very low to the ground, you don't want to do this initially maybe because, of course, you need some leaves for the plant to grow. But as the plant becomes stronger and tougher and bigger and more robust, you can start removing and pruning. So a sort of like knobby knees and ankle look down below your tomatoes, you know, she's got beautiful leaves on top, but knobby knees at the bottom, that's okay, because that will help to prevent some of that splashing of potentially pathogenic soil onto the foliage. So between mulching around your plants and pruning some of those low-hanging branches, usually you can prevent some of those foliar uh, problems, foliar diseases that show up on tomatoes. And if you're starting to see disease on your tomatoes, feel free to send us a picture. You can go to our Facebook page at New Southern Garden or Instagram. Maybe send us a video showing us up and down the plant so we can get a good look at it and we can help diagnose and also get you some controls because the best way to control disease in any plant is to prevent it from even taking a foothold. Like Benjamin Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. And when it comes to diseases and plants, definitely the prevention is the best solution. So maybe enough about tomatoes today. Let's shift gears and talk about squash. Let's talk about squash because squash will have some problems. Squash is going to have problems, I guess, after tomatoes, squashes, and cucumbers. I'm sort of treating cucumbers and zucchini in the same group, okay? Uh, but I may just use squash as the term because they're all in that family of plants that are called cucurbits. The cucurbits. Squashes, zucchinis, cucumbers, melons, watermelon, cantaloupe, 
honeydew. They're all very closely related. So many of the practices that we would do for one is applicable to the others as well. Now, the first issue you may start to see, maybe you already have, it's really not an issue at all, but I'll explain to you why it's not an issue, is you start to see your young squash plants blooming, and yet there's no fruit. There's no squash on the vine, just flowers. Then the flower uh, fades, it falls off, and there's no squash. And you begin to think that Something is wrong with your squash plant. Does it need fertilizer? Does it need some kind of plant hormone? What did I not do that could have given me this problem? Well, I'll let you know that if you're noticing, particularly the first few times that your squash plant flowers, you see the flower and there's no fruit after, don't worry. Because the flowers that usually are first produced by a squash plant are the male flowers. And the male flowers only carry pollen. They will not carry a fruit. They have no ovary. So a squash plant, same with cucumbers and the rest, these plants, they are what we call, here's your botanical term of the day, monoecious. Mon meaning one and ecious meaning house. That literally translates to one house. It means that there are two different flowers on one plant, a male flower and a female flower. So the squash plants produce both male flowers and female flowers on the same plant. And what we find is that usually the first flowers that squash plants produce are male flowers. Then later on, you will have some female flowers and some more male flowers and female flowers and male flowers, and they'll sort of alternate between the two. And that way, you have the male side, which we need for pollen, and you have the female side, which we need for the fruit itself, for the squash itself. Now, it's quite easy. It is very easy, actually, to distinguish the difference between a male flower and a female flower on a squash plant or cucumber plant, for that matter. When you're looking at the flower, behind the flower, close to the stem, if it's a female flower, there will be a miniature, very small, bulb-like feature, and that, it looks like a miniature, miniature squash. So that would be the female flower. You've got the yellow flower on the top, and then you've got this tiny little bulging, uh, swollen ovary, which looks a lot like a cucumber if it's a cucumber, and looks a lot like a squash if it's a squash. It's just all miniature. But then the male flower, you will look at it. You'll have the flower, and it will be connected to the flower stem, the petiole, I guess it is, or is that on the leaf? Anyhow, the flower stem will be coming out of the backside of that male flower, and there will be no swollen area. It will be a smooth, normal-looking stem. So if you are thinking that your squash plants aren't producing squashes, look at the flower a little closer. Do you see behind the flower, in between the stem and the flower, do you see a swollen uh, structure that looks like a mini squash? Because if you don't see one there, then you know you have a male flower and everything is normal. Because eventually, as the squash plant continues to grow, it'll put out more branches, more vine, and you'll have more flowers. And those flowers will surely have some female flowers attached. Now, with that being said, uh, when it comes to squashes, we do need pollinators. 
Because you have two different flowers on the same plant, a male flower and a female flower on the same plant, you've got to get the pollen from the male flower over to the uh, parts of the female flower that need the pollen, the stigma, the style, the ovary. That needs to be pollinated. And pollinators are usually going to do the job. Now, if you notice that some of the female flowers are falling off before they start growing, you might need to do some hand pollinating, which you can take a Q-tip, rub it around the anthers and the stamens of the uh, male flower, and then take that Q-tip, which is loaded up with squash pollen, take it over to your female flowers, and sprinkle it on top of the female parts there. Now, again, if you've got honeybees and butterflies, bumblebees, if you've got all the pollinators going on, you won't really have to do this. If you are growing them in a greenhouse for some reason, you may have to do some hand pollinating to make sure that all of your female flowers gets uh, pollinated and they can start to grow. So keep that in mind that planting flowers in and amongst your squash plants, your cucumber plants, your melon plants, your zucchini plants, all of those, planting some flowers in between and along the rows is always a good idea because those will surely help bring the pollinators to your squash plants which really need their help in order to get going so if you don't have squash on your squash plants yet don't worry you see some flowers but nothing's happening just wait you may not have a female flower just yet now another issue Another issue that you will probably have with squash, maybe in the next coming week, or two, or three, or four, is going to be insects. Definitely. We've talked about some disease problems for tomatoes, but squashes, yes, I've had powdery mildew, I've had downy mildew, and some diseases, um, but really, the bugs have always been a problem when I'm growing squashes. Now, there are things like the, uh, the pickle worm, the squash bug, which is terrible, and the squash vine borer, which is probably even more terrible. But these things are surely to happen. They're surely to happen. Hopefully they won't. But if they do, I don't know of a year that I haven't had some insect problem on my squashes. If you don't have that problem, let's keep it that way. <laughs> but there are a few things you can do if you start to see that insects particularly some of these squash bugs or squash vine borers or the pickle worm, if you start to see these things happening, there are some things you can do to remedy it. Now, the first thing we want to recognize is that usually these insects care more for a mature and older squash plant. So you may not see it right away after the plant has started to grow and start to develop, but as the leaves get bigger, as the stems get bigger, especially those squash vine borers, they love big, thick squash stems to bore into, lay their eggs, and just wreak havoc. But with that in mind, because these insects usually like older plants, the first thing to do is think about succession planting. Now, succession planting is where you will, uh, say, plant some squash today and then plant another row of squash in three or four weeks. And then maybe another three or four weeks, plant some more squash. And the idea is that you're constantly having 
new fresh plants all summer long. Squash produce very quickly, very easily. And so with that in mind, you can have a, uh, if the bugs start attacking your first squash plants, well, that's okay. You can eradicate those, get those off the property, and then you've got some young plants behind. Those may get attacked, but you've got another set of squash coming up soon because until those squash plants get more mature, they probably won't be too um, interested. Now, when we get back, some more ideas on keeping these bugs off of your squash plants. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, welcome back to New Southern Garden. If you're just joining us on today's program, we've been talking about particularly tomato and squashes, growing them, what's going on this time of year, some things you might need to be aware of. Talked about certain ways to, uh, maybe some creative ways to stake your tomatoes. Also preventing disease that might be a problem. Uh, if you have exposed soil or if you have some disease in your soil. And then with the squashes, we talked about the fact that squashes, cucumbers, all of those uh, cucurbits, they have male flowers and female flowers that are found on the same plant. Now we're talking about bugs on your squash plants. Because um, bugs do, like I said earlier, bugs have always been a problem for me in squash, and I've found some ways that we can help prevent them. Uh, or maybe maybe, maybe not prevent them, but extend our period of harvest. Uh, that first way, of course, is by using succession planting. And we were talking before the break that succession planting is where you will plant squash today, and then plant squash three or four weeks later, and then plant more squash three or four weeks later after that, and maybe another last time three, two, three, four weeks after that. And the idea is that you have an extended period of squash growing. So by the time the first squash get old enough that the bugs are interested, because once you get squash vine borer it's hard to get rid of and they can kill the entire plant back so at least you've got some younger squash that they won't be too enthusiastic about but when those start growing they may attack them and then by the time the next one um, gets old enough you see you've got this succession of squash production it's a good thing to think about now another thing that has been very beneficial particularly for these borers is a mechanical barrier or a physical barrier, because they like to crawl from the soil up the stem, and they find a place to bore into the stem there, they lay their eggs, they have a whole baby, all these babies coming out of the stem, it's 
terrible. But you can sort of deter them a bit by loosely wrapping a strip of aluminum foil around the base of your squash stem. So maybe pull the soil back just a bit, not enough to damage the root system, but then take a thin strip of aluminum foil, wrap it around loosely, and that will help prevent them from boring in, crawling in. Now, you're not wrapping the entire stem or the whole length of the squash vine, just maybe two inches or three inches above the soil and maybe a bit below the soil. Now, with this in mind, it has to be monitored because... You're going to loosely wrap the aluminum foils just so that you're protecting it against the, uh, the bug. You're not wrapping it very tightly like trying to keep it adhered to the stem itself, really squeeze tight. Because as the stem grows, it needs to expand as well. And if that aluminum foil gets too tight around the stem, then it may girdle the plant and it will do more damage to the plant than the bug would have itself. Another thing you can do as far as um, physical barrier is to create a tent. So you can create, out of maybe some scrap lumber or PVC pipes, uh, a tent that you would drape in a very fine cloth, mesh cloth, so that, in other words, you can let light in, but you can't let bugs in. And you would place that tent over the top of your plant. However, remember, squash plants are pollinated by bugs, pollinators, bees, butterflies, whatever crawls in there. So when you have a tent to exclude the bad bugs, you're also excluding the good bugs. So that means you would definitely have to hand pollinate and physically get that Q-tip out, moving pollen from the male flower over to the female flower to make sure you get a crop. Because if you don't pollinate your uh flowers and you still have a tent over the top to keep out the bad bugs well you won't have any squash so tents aren't my option to go with mechanical barriers but definitely aluminum foil wrapped around the base is a good idea and then lastly if you see signs and when we say see signs of bugs what we actually mean is we physically see the bug itself we need to identify the bug is it a pickle worm is it a squash bug is it a squash vine borer once we've identified, we can go into even using sprays if you want. Now, when I say sprays, I don't mean just chemicals. There are some good organic options as well. Pyrethrin being one of them, spinosad being another. Both of those are naturally occurring compounds that insects do not tango with. All right. Neem oil can be very effective as well. If you're going to go the organic route of using pyrethrin, neem oil, maybe spinosad, uh, to spray onto bug problems on your squash plants or any vegetable plant, they can be very effective, but they've got to be applied regularly. So in other words, you may have to at least apply these products every seven days until the problem resolves, or after a heavy rain, we need to reapply. Because if we don't, then we might find they don't seem to be working. And then, of course, there are chemicals. There's bifenthrin and permethrin and things that can be very effective as well. I always let the listener, I always let you determine 
What is best for you and your garden? Do you want to be spraying a chemical that can be very effective and solve the problem? Uh, if you follow the label, the USDA <laughs> has told us how to use them, so you got to trust your government there. And then the organic products can be effective if used regularly, if used appropriately. Um, they tend to uh, wash off maybe a little faster, which is good, right? <laughs> but as far as protection, I'm going to let you determine if you want to go one route or the other. My preference would be let's do some things to prevent altogether. Now, I will say one of the most grotesque ways of dealing with squash vine borer that can be effective. You ready for this? <laughs> so once you know you have squash vine borer, they bore into your squash vine, they lay their eggs, and then there's just a number of insects that live inside of the hollow squash stem. All right? Now, if maybe on a sunny day, you can position yourself just right that you can see through the green stem and see shadows of bugs in there. Or maybe at nighttime or maybe during the daytime, you bring a flashlight and you shine it from behind the stem and you can find shadows of bugs. You can take some toothpicks and pierce it through the stem where the bug is and skewer the bug in place. Yeah, it's kind of gross, I know. <laughs> but you can skewer the bug through the stem so it's skewered in place. It's not going to move. It's not going anywhere. It eventually is going to transpire and your squash vine borer problem will be eradicated. Putting a tiny hole through both sides of a stem is not a problem for the plant. But the damage that the squash vine borer does to the stem is even more problematic. So it's okay to squish those bugs, well, pierce them, skewer them, I should say. You'll have squash vine borer shish kebabs in your garden. But you can do that as well if you notice. Now, if you've got a major issue and there are just so many bugs you can't deal with, you may have to go another route and start your plants over. But regardless, today I wanted to introduce you to different ways of dealing with certain concerns. Tomatoes and, and, and staking them, controlling some of their diseases, squashes and the way they flower, which seems problematic, but it's not. You just got to wait. And then, of course, the bugs that squashes get. Next week, we'll probably talk about some more of our favorite and beloved vegetables and how to deal with some of the things that might be happening now or happening soon in the vegetable garden. If you think it would be very hard for you to skewer a squash vine borer, just do it, Eden Rose give says. It and give it a go. Skewer those squash vine borers. Gang, we'll see you next week for WRWH and 93.9 FM. This is Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.